John Lawrence with Anesthesia Guidebook. I originally put this show up on From the Head of the Bed in July of 2019. These 10 tips for airway management are still the core of what I would offer to folks who are learning airway management or for the experienced providers out there as a way to sharpen your skills. I use each of these tips every day when managing airways as a CRNA. Hopefully they're helpful for you as well. And with that, let's get to the show. Today, I'm going to give you 10 tips for airway management in 10 minutes. Now, before you start the timer, let me give you a quick rundown on the show. This is geared towards folks who are learning airway management, so SRNAs, anesthesia residents, and others. Uh, these tips are geared to help you increase your proficiency with airway management. Maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're struggling with some element of airway management, whether it's getting the tube in, um, communicating your plan, getting an LMA in and getting it to seal, whatever it might be, hopefully these tips will help create a backdrop for you to build on those skills and improve those skills. I still think it's relevant to practicing clinicians. In fact, I would uh, welcome your feedback into what tips would you give to folks who are learning airway management. I would also challenge you as you listen to this to think about where do you fall on the continuum of expertise in airway management. Just because you're an anesthesia provider does not necessarily mean that you are an expert in airway management. I think that there's a continuum of expertise and you start somewhere where the first time that you pick up a laryngoscope in your right hand and you're wondering what to do with it. Uh, and then you progress from there through all of the skill sets and decision making and critical thinking related to airway management. And we're somewhere along on that path, but we all have the opportunity to learn and to grow. And hopefully these 10 tips will be relevant to you no matter where you are on that path. So why give you these in just 10 minutes? Some of the shows in the podcast run 30, 45, even 60 minutes or more. Hopefully you still find that content meaningful. I also want to put out some shorter episodes to get right to the point and let you get on with your day. So here goes. Start your timers. 10 tips for airway management in 10 minutes. Number one, develop a growth mindset and practice deliberately. A growth mindset means believing you can get better with the right kind of practice. Doubt and frustration are normal feelings when learning airway management. Deliberate practice will help you improve your skills. Don't just keep doing the same things over and over and hope to get a different outcome. Deconstruct the process. Learn about best practices for each step. Read the literature, talk to people, watch video. Identify specific opportunities where you can improve your performance through self-reflection and asking for feedback, and then work on those skills. And a side note, as I mentioned in the introduction, just because someone has been a CRNA or a physician anesthesiologist for a long time doesn't mean they're truly an airway expert. Expertise isn't defined by time on the job or your attitude about yourself. It's developed through deliberately practicing improving skills based upon sound knowledge and feedback over a long period of time. Number two, do a good airway assessment. Identify possibly difficult patients and make appropriate adjustments. The airway assessment is where it all begins. It informs your approach to positioning, pre-oxygenation, available tools and adjuncts, medication choice, backup plans, and how and what you communicate with others. Number three, develop a plan. Know what needs to happen and visualize it happening. Then make the steps you need to execute your plan. Deviate as necessary and review how things went afterwards. Did you follow your plan or did you deviate? 
If so, was it for a good reason? Are there ways to continue improving? Here's an example. Sometimes I plan to build a ramp based upon my patient's BMI, but then I forget to do it for whatever reason until I'm actually in the room with the patient. So then I either have to scramble to build one or go without. Either way, not having that element of my plan in place increases my stress, which is really not helpful. So develop a plan and then follow that plan. Number four, control your environment. This has to do with just about everything. Positioning, placing monitors, laying your meds and tools out, the noise in the room, communicating with others about your plan. You're about to do something that is profoundly risky and important. It's the most important step in the perioperative process for that patient at that moment. So control it. As a side note, this can be super difficult as an SRNA or a resident when the other people in the room, whether it's the nurse, the surgeon, the CRNA, or physician anesthesiologist, or whoever, are putting time pressure on you and they're not supporting your plan. Managing that situation can take a lot of emotional intelligence and good communication. It can also still not go perfectly. Part of developing airway expertise is learning to figure out how to operate in suboptimal conditions while also knowing when to put your foot down to make the conditions more optimal. Number five, position the patient and yourself for success. I didn't really understand this until I was out of anesthesia school. I mean, I became competent with basic airway management during school, but I didn't really sit down and study optimal patient positioning for intubation until I was out practicing on my own. The distillation of optimal patient positioning comes down to this. Position the patient so the tragus of their ear is in line with the sternal line and their face parallel to the ceiling. That's it. And here's what I mean. Look at the angle of their sternum is at. The patient should be positioned so that their ear is level or above that line their sternum makes. You usually have to ramp up their torso and their head to achieve this. It usually requires more than just sticking a pillow under their head. Then, if you can, tilt the patient's face parallel to the ceiling. That's what sniffing position really is. So Google image that or check out the show notes to this episode for a visual. You definitely want to optimize patient positioning for obese patients by ramping them up to achieve this position. And check the show notes for more information. Number six, pre-oxygenate adequately. This is not only something that increases patient safety, but buys you all kinds of time during laryngoscopy. A Dana study that I'll put in the show notes showed that 93% of difficult intubations and 94% of difficult mask ventilation cases were unanticipated based on routine pre-op airway assessments. So you may not always know when an airway will be difficult. This should motivate us to adequately pre-oxygenate everybody. Now, pre-oxygenation is really about denitrogenation, which is achieved by getting a good mask seal and achieving in-tidal O2 levels over 85 to 90%. Keeping the patient denitrogenated requires good mask ventilation while waiting for paralytics to set up. So masking skills, beard management, airway adjuncts, and so on all come into play here as key things to understand and practice. Another technique to understand and utilize is apneic oxygenation. The CRNAs and physician anesthesiologists who know about this technique in airway management will understand and support you when you reach for it. Those who don't will usually look at you like you're crazy. Keeping a nasal cannula on a patient throughout pre-oxygenation, induction, and laryngoscopy, and then cranking the O2 up over 10 liters per minute during laryngoscopy will not only substantially prolong time to DSEP, 
giving you more time to comfortably manage the airway, but it will probably also really confuse people who have not seen it done before. So you need to be able to explain apneic oxygenation and why you're using it. Number seven, communicate effectively. You should communicate effectively and early, meaning in pre-op or before the case, and maybe even at the start of the day, if you know you have an airway that could be difficult, post it on the schedule. However, the reality is that sometimes the only time to chat about your plan for airway management is once everyone is in the room and you're getting ready to induce the patient. That is a critical time to communicate with others about your airway management plan, especially if you haven't done so already. It's also a great time to remind someone that you plan to leave the nasal cannula on for apneic oxygenation or whatever. So communication is critical to effective airway management. Number eight, choose meds appropriately and let them work. This is pretty simple. The patient characteristics, including their airway assessment, the surgery, the CRNA and physician anesthesiologist you may be working with, all of these things can influence the medications that you choose to give during an induction. So know the ins and outs of induction meds, especially doses and onset times. And let the paralytics work. There's no sense to move forward with a laryngoscopy if the paralytics have not had time to set up. You're just shooting yourself in the foot. So give yourself time to let the paralytics actually set up. And remember, you definitely want to adopt your plan for folks who are hemodynamically unstable. You can definitely kill people on induction and laryngoscopy. And of course, you don't want to do that. So choose your medications appropriately and let the paralytics work. Number nine, take your time with laryngoscopy. Slow down and pay attention to everything. I often see airway learners rush during laryngoscopy, uh, perhaps to look good or whatever. You don't need to do that. If you've done everything well up to this point, especially adequate pre-oxygenation, you should have plenty of time to manage the airway safely and effectively. Remember, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Take your time and pay attention in each second to what you need to do to optimize blade position and your view while not cutting the lips or putting pressure on the teeth. Take your time with laryngoscopy. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Number 10, recognize when you need to change your plan and do so deliberately. If your view sucks, ask yourself why. Can you make a change in that moment? Do you need to reposition the blade, lift the head, put pressure on the front of the neck to bring the larynx into view and so on? If not, pull out and make a deliberate change to your approach. Will you switch blades? Use the video laryngoscope. Mask ventilate to reoxygenate the patient. Give more time for the paralytics to actually set up. Change patient position. Use a bougie suction or put a nasal cannula on for apneic oxygenation. Whatever you're doing next, communicate explicitly what your plan is and what you plan to do differently on your second attempt. If you're struggling, remember that allowing someone else to intubate is not a failure. It's managing the airway appropriately. It's a step on the difficult airway algorithm. Aborting the airway and waking the patient up is also not a failure. It's a step on the difficult airway algorithm. And surgical airway or cricothyrotomy is not a failed airway. It's a step on the difficult airway algorithm, and we should be prepared to do those interventions. It's your job to manage the airway effectively with good decision-making and communication and to change the plan as necessary. These are critical aspects of being an airway expert. Remember, the point is to keep the patient oxygenated and ventilated, not get the tube in or look like a rock star. And that is 10 tips for airway management in 10 minutes.
will definitely cycle back on some of these topics in future shows and delve a little bit deeper into them. Uh, So be sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Send me your comments about what was helpful and what you want to hear more about. And I'll see you next time.